So two weeks ago, we told the story of Abraham and Sarah longing for a child and being promised a child and then finally having a child who they named Isaac, which means laughter. There's another story that intertwines with that story that we don't tell as often about Hagar and Ishmael, another son of Abraham's. And so today we're going to go back and pick up that thread of the narrative. We start back before Isaac had been born in chapter 16 of Genesis. Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to have children. Since she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar, Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from giving birth, so go to my slave. Maybe she will provide me with children. Abram did just as Sarai said. He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when she realized she was pregnant, she no longer respected her mistress. Sarai said to Abram, this harassment is your fault. I allowed you to embrace my slave. But when she realized she was pregnant, I lost her respect. Let the Lord decide who is right, you or me. Abram said to Sarai, since she's your slave, do whatever you wish to her. So Sarai treated her harshly. She ran away from Sarah. The Lord's messenger found Hagar at a spring in the desert, the spring on the road to Shur, and said, Hagar, Sarai's slave, where did you come from and where are you going? The Lord, she said, from my mistress, Sarai, I'm running away. The Lord's messenger said to her, go back to your mistress, put up with her harsh treatment of you. The Lord's messenger also said, I will give you many children, so many they can't be counted. The Lord's messenger said to her, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You will name him Ishmael, which means God hears, because the Lord has heard about your harsh treatment. Hagar named the Lord who spoke to her, You are El Roy, which means God who sees. Because she said, Can I still see after he saw me? Hagar gave birth to a son for Abram, and Abram named him Ishmael. And then, not long after this, Sarah has her son, her promised son, Isaac. And we pick back up with Hagar and Ishmael in chapter 21. The boy, Ishmael, grew and stopped nursing. On the day he stopped nursing, Abraham prepared a huge banquet. Sarah saw Hagar's son 
laughing. The one Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham. So she said to Abraham, send this slave away with her son. This slave's son won't share in the inheritance with my son. This upset Abraham greatly because the boy was his son. God said to Abraham, don't be upset about this boy and your slave. Do everything Sarah tells you to do because your descendants will be traced through Isaac. But I will make of your slave son a great nation too because he is also your descendant. Abraham got up early in the morning, took some bread and a flask of water, and gave it to Hagar. He put the boy in her shoulder sling and sent her away. She left and wandered through the desert near Beersheba. Finally, the water in the flask ran out. She put the boy down under one of the desert shrubs. She walked away from him about as far as a bow shot and sat down, telling herself, I can't bear to see the boy die. She sat at a distance, cried out in grief and wept. God heard the boy's cries, and God's messenger called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, Hagar, what's wrong? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy's cries over there. Get up. Pick up the boy. Take him by the hand, because I will make of him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw well. She went over and filled the flask and gave the boy a drink. God remained with the boy. He grew up, lived in the desert, became an expert archer. He lived in the Paran Desert, and his mother found him an Egyptian wife. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What a mess. No wonder we skip this story. In the first half, Sarah and Abraham are despairing that they will ever have a child. So Sarah suggests to Abraham that he use Hagar as a surrogate, which was a culturally accepted practice of the day. The child would still be Abraham's and recognized as an heir. But the fact that it was culturally accepted doesn't make it right. Hagar was their slave. We don't know how she came to be enslaved, by Abraham, but it can't have been a happy story. 
story without trauma. Hagar, ha-gar, in Hebrew means the foreigner, the stranger, the immigrant. It's a common noun. In Leviticus, where we're told, love the immigrant as yourself, it is literally love Hagar, Hagar, as yourself. Apparently, to Abraham and Sarah, and those who told this story, she didn't even warrant a name of her own. She's just the foreigner. So when Sarah suggests Abraham try to have a child with Hagar, Hagar doesn't have a choice. She didn't have a say. She didn't get to choose if she would consent or not. Even if Abraham was nice about it, Hagar didn't have a choice. So Abraham used Hagar, and she got pregnant. And then it says Hagar no longer respected Sarah. And Abraham tells Sarah, do whatever you want. And Sarah casts her out, essentially sentencing her to death. It's horrifying, isn't it? And clearly, Sarah's at fault. It was her idea, and then she didn't like the consequences. And Hagar didn't help matters by getting so proud, having ideas above her station. These are the conclusions that have traditionally been drawn about this story. Sarah's fault. Hagar made things worse, and poor Abraham... She's caught by these manipulative, jealous women. Awfully convenient for Abraham that the story was told that way. We might think about who told this story, who had access to education and time, literacy, papyrus, ink. This story is told by men who identify with Abraham, not Sarah, certainly not Hagar. And so the story is told in a clever way that lets Abraham off the hook entirely. Even though, in the culture of the day, he's the only one who had true agency power. We all do this. We all tell stories about our own suffering that blame others. And often, we blame others who have less than we do. Fewer resources, less power. When by some grace, and it is grace, we catch ourselves or are caught by someone else. 
and called to account. It's a chance to slow down, get real honest with ourselves. How do the stories we tell serve us? How does the story I tell let me off the hook? And through all of this runs fear. Sarah is afraid she will lose what little standing she already has. Abraham is scared to intervene and make a bigger mess of things. When we let fear run the day, things get dangerous and people get hurt. That is how Hagar ends up in the desert, pregnant, alone, without any resources. But then, out in that wilderness, God's messenger comes to Hagar and tells her that she has been heard and seen and that she will be blessed. Hagar is the only person in the Hebrew Bible to give God a name. She doesn't settle for the name that her owners used for God. She names God herself from her own experience. El Roy, which means God who sees. God who sees me. God looked at Hagar and didn't just see a foreigner or an object or a means to an end. God saw her and her pain and her suffering and met her there in the midst of it. God saw her, holy and beloved, child of God. At last she was seen for who she was. I hope you have had that experience at least once in your life of knowing yourself to be fully seen, known, loved, we need to be seen as who we really are as much as we need milk from our mother's breast. It is how we are built. We need to be seen not as a category, not as an object, not as a projection of someone's desires or fears, but as ourselves. We need to be seen. Hagar was seen. And as she turns from the wilderness to go back to Abraham and Sarah, she needed that. She needed that affirmation that she was seen. She was somebody. It is this acknowledgement of the dignity of every human that has fueled liberation movements throughout time. 
I'm reminded of the final protest that Martin Luther King took part in, the sanitation workers who carried signs that said, I am a man. I am somebody. I've been seen. I wish Hagar didn't get sent back to Abraham and Sarah. I wish she'd been set free then and there. And I don't know why God did that. Maybe it was too dangerous out in the desert for a pregnant woman alone. Maybe the story was told by slave owners. But as she leaves that wilderness for this other one with Abraham and Sarah, she won't forget. She has been changed. She knows. I've been seen. I am somebody. Time passes and Sarah grows threatened by Hagar and Ishmael again. And again, Abraham abdicates responsibility and casts them out. And again, Hagar and Ishmael face death and are again met in the desert by saving grace. They are seen. They are blessed. They are given a future. Where do we find ourselves in this story? How is this story our story all these thousands of years later? I know sometimes I'm Abraham, for sure. Quick to tell a story that relieves me of responsibility and blames someone else. I know I'm Sarah, like this Sarah, caught in a system I did not create, and yet using what power I have in ways that can harm. Abraham and Sarah didn't ever repent of what they did to Hagar, or if they did, That story didn't get told. Isaac and Ishmael, the next generation, chart a new path. We leave this out as well, but when Abraham died, they came together, brothers, to bury him, reconciled. What would Sarah and Abraham have seen in God and learned about themselves and about the nature of God if they had seen Hagar. Not as a tool for them to use, but as a person, as a beloved child of God. Because of all three of them, Hagar, is the one who comes to know God most intimately, 
most personally. That's the promise here. When we don't really feel like we count, and all of us feel that at some time in our lives, when it feels like no one sees us, Hagar leads the way. And when we fail to see our neighbor as a child of God, Hagar calls us to account. She is our mother, just as much as Sarah is. She is the mother of all who find themselves overlooked, unheard. And this is her testimony. You are seen and loved for who you are. You and I and all of us, which means all, are children of God, holy and beloved. We are seen by our Creator. Amen.